Hello, you're listening to Future Artifacts FM, a radio show hosted by Neve Schmidtke and Nina Davies. Earlier this year, several radio frequencies were discovered airing a collection of broadcasts. At first, they sounded like regular news stories and interviews. They felt familiar, but also not quite belonging to our present. Slowly, the listeners came to believe that what they were listening to did indeed belong to their world, just not their time. They were looking into the future through the mundane edges of radio recordings and public service announcements. While this material is still being meticulously studied by researchers in various universities and museums, your hosts have managed to gain access to this collection to air a selection of these broadcasts for you, our listeners. For full disclosure, we will not be sharing this collection with you, as this introduction is based on a fictional event. In this monthly broadcast, Future Artifacts FM, we will present speculative fiction pieces by artists and writers, followed by conversation with hosts Neve Schmidtke and Nina Davies. The program will focus on fictional works intended for broadcast, such as radio plays or fictional interviews, to carve out a better understanding of the now by exploring various interpretations of the future. Yeah. Okay, welcome back to Future Artifacts. Episode 15. Uh, episode 15, that's crazy. Um, yes, yeah, so we've got another exciting, I mean, every episode is like always really exciting, but we've got another exciting episode today and we're joined by Joe Moss. And it's particularly exciting because if you've enjoyed any of the music at the back of our conversations, you'll have already heard Joe's work, but today we get to listen to it more in depth. So welcome to the show, Joe. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. <laughs> How does it feel to be in the in the hot seat? In the hot time? seat. It feels good. Feels maybe slightly nerve-wracking, but it's yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah. Joe's been part of the we're gonna do a normal proper introduction, but Joe's been part of the future artifacts team since day one. And yeah, we're just really excited. We've been wanting to have you on the show for ages and we're really excited that it's finally happened today. Joe works a lot with speculation as well in his work and we're I'm going to read you out the his official bio so you get an idea of kind of what he's been working on where he's been working and sort of where you can see his projects as well. So Joe Moss makes work with a vast appetite for pre-existing cultural and material references connected by the logic of collage Moss's works weave together the contemporary logics of a variety of fictions, examining cultural threads from high fantasy to streetwear with entertaining and slightly sinister results. Moss's diverse output ranges from solo presentations to radio production to collaborative exhibition making. Recent projects include Model Village at NN Contemporary, Homegrown on the Hauser & Worth website, residencies at East Cheap Projects UK and Stockyart, Norway, and the London Bronze Editions Foundry Fellowship. Moss graduated with a BA from Central St. Martins in 2015, spent three years on the conditions programme between 2019 and 2022, and is currently enrolled on the MFA programme at the Slade. Kind of hopefully finishing next year, right? Next year, yeah. Hopefully cool. finishing makes it sound like he's like <laughs> well, not going to graduate. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More so, master's programmes are, are crazy things, and I feel like in the year of in times of COVID, lots of people have yeah, yeah. taken a more, let's say, holistic approach to doing a master's education. It's not like, I need to get it done, but 
I'm going to do it in the way that benefits my practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today we're going to be playing a sound work by Joe, which is going to be 17 minutes called Infinite Customization. Um, before we head into the work, Joe, is there something, is there anything you want to say about the work? Yeah, so I'm just going to say that Toad, who's the main protagonist in the work, is a character from Wind in the Willows, which was a book written in 1908. And the original book was about fictional pastoral England and has a lot to do with the emerging conflict between the rural and the industrial. Toad himself is a really big character and he's like obsessed with speed and progress and things like this. And he sings the intro song, which is like... That's what you'll hear first. I mean, if, if you want to catch up on Wind in the Willows, the film is on YouTube, one would presume. However, we're kind of, uh, in Joe's work, it's looking at a contemporary take on it and thinking about, well, we'll dive into that. But you don't need to have a context of, of the book to listen to the work. Yeah. And if you want a context, we'll get into it after you listen to the piece. Yeah. Great. Is there any way that you want people to listen to it? With great joy. That's how I want people to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, with great joy, and we'll see you on the other side. Bye. moved quickly through the woods, propelled by a jolt that coursed through every fibre of his being. Through rivers, through streams, through fields, he advanced at incredible speed, and he felt, well, not alive exactly, but present. It was a dream for Toad, who had desired linear progress and speed above all else in his life internalising the promise of modernity in an age where the first awesome terrors of the Industrial Revolution began to shake the ground. Bounding on and on he went, until he came to realise he was not walking or hopping, but simply proceeding. He stopped by a stream to take in some water and pondered this for a moment. Hmm, he thought, something very odd is going on. Toad knew he'd been resting, but he also knew he hadn't been sleeping, and as he leant down for water, this odd mystery came sharply into focus. Egads! he cried upon his reflection, for in place of his hearty vigour stood a loose, shimmery, silvered counterpart. It did not take much contemplation. Toad was a ghost. At this revelation, one would expect to plonk themselves down beside the riverbank to lament. But Toad was ecstatic. He relished another opportunity to witness the progression of the age he found himself in. But where next? Chapter 2. Bicton. Onwards! Toad tore through the landscape until he came to a busy street flanked by two rows of buildings. It was the tireless layout 
of a shopping district. The scene was overwhelming. Out of every merchant music pouring, with ginormous pictures in every window and stacked upon the exterior of buildings. Toad recognised that this district was the focal point of the new age. All the highways pointing here, all the new buildings, all the pictures. This was a centre founded on a heady combination of advertising and availability. Every desire catered for, every sense engaged, as every catering hall provided meat, light and sound. Even the bakery was filled with moving pictures displaying information about drinks and pastries. Toad marvelled at the result of the industrial quest of his own time. He was most impressed at the clothing, gathering that the new fashions weren't related to activity, but devoted to aesthetics themselves. It seemed everyone was staking claim to some ideological territory with outrageous clothes made of new fabrics, different factions showing their perspective through material choice. Toad likened this mode of expression to the dandies and chortled at the absurdity. As he wandered, Toad recognised the mirroring of this sartorial logic by the ever-present advertising. How strange it was. Aesthetic factions devoted to the service of products or vice versa. Perhaps, Toad thought, all this creativity must be entwined with great advances in salesmanship, new invention and access, combining to both give and take the creativity that gave lust to life. Toad also noticed everyone occasionally stared into little rectangular devices with great purpose. These little objects reminded Toad of pocket watches, and he was happy to see the link between time and modernity still present and effective. All the promises of the future had been achieved. What a time to be alive! Chapter 3. A Pleasant and Boring Group On one fortunate day, bright and sunny and crisp, lucky old Toad found his way to the 43rd SCM Cars and Coffee Meet. It is impossible to describe Toad's gleeful reaction upon arriving at this chance destination. Here, in a field, Glistening in the sun were row upon row of different cars, each meticulously cleaned and detailed with the reverence Toad thought rightly accompanied such latent speed. Toad was in rapture. In his later years, he had longed to see Ford's production line, a presentation of mastery over time. Now here he was, somewhere in the future, in the company of the latest auto fashions. Toad longed for the ability to talk with the people around him, to persuade, beg, borrow or steal the chance to drive one of these talismans of progress. On one of the rows sat a wide blue Ford. Toad recognised the signature, and it was here that he chose to hover listening in to the conversation of a like-minded group. Yeah, so it's a cosy, completely standard. I, uh, I just polished it up a bit, said a field mouse of average height, 
in a muted combination of shirt and trousers. Toad was a little disappointed that the owner of this car wasn't more remarkable. It's a what? piped up a litter of young ferrets, scrabbling around the car and clearly excited. Uh, it's a Ford Escort RS Cosworth, grinned the mouse. It has 220-ish horsepower, delivered via permanent four-wheel drive, sending 66% to the rear wheels and 34% to the front. An owl continued the enjoyment, poking his head through the open window of the Ford and exclaiming, Blimey, are these the same mirror switches as is in a Lotus Evora? It can't be. That car is almost 20 years younger. Out came the palm devices Toad was so intrigued by. The huddle partaking in a race to find this puzzlingly arbitrary information. Jests and hoots, claps and cheers, devices waved, everyone was having a jolly good time. Everyone apart from Toad, that is. He felt suddenly foolish observing the different styles of vehicle across the meet. These weren't different proposals for the future, but different ages of design. He was in a museum of relics. Hovering over the devices of the cheerful rabble, Toad concluded that they were watches, of course, noting he had risen a hundred years into the future. However, more remarkably, the devices also appear to be vast memory banks, recycling machines to cultivate and recall history. The technology was amazing. At once a library and a watch and a phone. But it also depressed Toad. For what good was all this technology if you just used it to look back? Toad spent the morning trying to garner some perspective on this pleasant and boring group who spent their time engaged with endless comparisons and numbers nostalgia and images. Toad had been seeking something new, but now, with a date to orient himself by, he was heartbroken by every reference to decades and decades of previous culture. Finally, it was too much. A mania engulfed Toad, and he seized upon the first unattended pocket library he saw, concentrating all his rage into his minor effect on the physical world. Alas, even on searching for the future, he found only artificial intelligences and proposals for something called transhumanism. Toad shuddered. He believed the quest of all creatures was to be agents of progress, and the thought of relinquishing this task disgusted him. How could one subjugate the body to the machine, he thought. It was our mastery over nature, and not the other way round. For Toad, these developments were not progress, but sacrilege. The horrified Toad ruminated on his recent discoveries, and for the first time felt the dreaded unrest that is shared by all ghosts across the world. Descending into a catatonic mist, he traipsed back to town and retired to a room in a hotel, seeking at least the visual comfort of a bed. Toad didn't exactly sleep, but rested the tumultuous rest of the ghost, periodically tortured by a heart-sinking consciousness. Chapter 4 
a haunting. After some time, two people burst into the hotel room, bickering and laughing and flinging their bags into a corner. Disturbed, Toad watched the pair complete the routine of every guest. The beds were sufficiently tested. The channels were checked. The view observed. Posturing in the mirror was completed. And eventually the finale. Nice bathroom, one remarked, throwing open the door and beholding its modest contents. Nice. Despite himself, Toad was softened by the joviality of the two who received a knock at the door and welcomed four more companions into the apparently way nicer near-identical room. They were startlingly dressed, heavy in blacks with portions of purple and streaks of high-vis yellow. Toad was particularly concerned with one of the group, who wore a shiny purple and black dress covered in dark lace and corseted in the Victorian style. They also wore thick socks with alternating bands of purple and black that were pulled up over the knees. Toad thought this was quite a strange display, like a small museum of purple undergarments through the ages. And as if this wasn't eye-catching enough, the ensemble of character and clothing was plugged into giant platformed boots covered in buckles and strings passing through at least 20 eyelets or more. Toad reminded himself of the memory banks and once again scrutinised the outfit. He could see the melancholy of the Renaissance channelled into the Victorian Count Dracula set up to pound the streets in chaotic military stompers. Why? Toad thought to himself, weak with despair. Toad perceived that this group, like the other factions, were adorning themselves in images of the past. This irked Toad, baggy, shapeless, too short, too long, clothes taken from other people and other times. These were no fugitives of Pandora's box, they were happy people performing the promise of ages that were already dead. Toad thought there was probably no point haunting people who were haunting themselves. Chapter 5. Return Still floating in the corner of the hotel room, Toad was brooding. On the one hand, he had witnessed a group still worshipping the value of speed, cars that were personal achievements of lists and bits and tinkering to formulate the most succinct and victorious presentations of individual freedom. Even successful, this quest to maximise progress against time was now a neutered exhilaration, representing only the empty promise of modernity, a quest that after achieving its goals had simply raised the dead. On the other hand, he had been moved by a group that paid no mind to speed or progress, gothic caricatures who could have been anybody. The fashions of this age seemed to rely on ever-tightening constellations of novel references. These were people furnished in ghosts like spooky, comfortable friends, performing with their chosen helpers to co-author an aesthetic mask 
concealing anybody's life. Lives filled with love and jest and fraternity. This was a horror, a dreamland of infinite customization, contending with a colossal memory and the backdrop of capital. Toad had travelled a long way from the woods, for this was a lawned culture, elements of the wild plucked out of their natural rhythm and assembled. Toad shuddered. He had found himself in a world where the only new things were found in transgression, and he wondered about the transgressions he hadn't seen. It was one thing for the dreamers and tinkerers who recalled and reformatted perspectives to be quickly stolen by the marshals of profit. But what about real transgressions? Novelty where no one would touch, identity in fantasies of violence, evil in extremes, cultures to horrify and terrorise, progress and authenticity in hate. Toad suddenly felt so alone. In this moment, above all else, he wanted the woods to be part of the ongoing cycle of things as in nature. Mole, Ratty, Badger, the river. He desired these friends to accompany him through this strange future. For at least in their relationships there would be a truth, a genuine care. Perhaps Toad pondered this was what he had seen. Support and joy and learning. Aesthetic territories that cycled with soft boundaries. Permeable destinations and shared fantasies to be distributed and held open for all. Entwined with capital, but not solely for it. At some point in these thoughts, Toad drifted off. Just as nature had its cycle, so too did these other revolutions. But a nine-inch screen cannot display anything in totality. All right, and welcome back. We all hope you really enjoyed Joe Moss's episode of Infinite Customization. We're now going to have a bit of a chat with Joe, some of the ideas behind the work. And for anyone who doesn't have context of Wind in the Willows, we'll, we'll give you a little context as well, if you want it. Maybe to start off, because you gave us an intro to Toad, or Mr. Toad, can ask, who is Mr. Toad? And like, is, is his perspective your perspective? Or is it a different opinion altogether you're trying to get to? So I think the reason Toad doesn't embody my perspective, no, just straight off the bat, that's like important, I think, to get across. But I think he does embody all of these like elements of Western culture. So like a focus on speed and progress and all of these things that exist that I feel like we all contend with. And he's like a very, he's like a caricature or maybe almost like a conservative, like big conservative character is what we'd like initially attribute to him. But actually I think he like represents a lot of things that are still present in everything that we do as well. So I think using him as a protagonist is like kind of a sneaky way of like navigating all of these different things. And if we were to try and apply his perspective to ourselves, we might think about emphasis on uh, productivity or work ethic or whatever, which is stuff that we really do 
think about as artists i hear a lot of people talk about how productive they are and stuff and that is in toad so to have him like haunting things that are happening i think is quite is well that's why i wanted to use him anyway to me he feels like a grandparent mm. in terms of like i sure why why would why would you dress up like something from the 1950s it's been done yeah yeah, yeah. In, in a little bit of a way or someone that I really hope to not sit beside on a train, especially <laughs> a long train journey, in that he's quite particular in being like, oh, why are they doing this? And like not quite getting it and not really trying to get it yeah. either. But I feel like there's been, there's like a huge cultural gap between like modernity and stuff. But I feel like that perspective is something that is like intrinsic to the way we still think about how culture is made. And actually like the conditions are so like completely different now, like technological change is happening massively. We have this like huge memory that we have to always refer to. So the idea of originality is compromised and like by proxy. So things like the idea of like a genius making culture and all of these sorts of things or like the whole idea of like an avant-garde, it's all like up for discussion and I feel like that we're at a moment where those things or we can consider those things and I don't think that anything's necessarily resolved or solved but yeah I guess this was a process of like using that character as like a good focal point to try and process all of these different elements. Yeah almost to have a perspective that's outside of your own in order to engage with your own yeah cultures in a way. Yeah yeah exactly. I mean obviously Toad is based on the character from Wind in the Willows but for you, does he represent anyone existing presently? Because you said he's sort of a conservative character, and I wonder whether he represents someone who is conservative today or someone who's conservative from the past or from a previous era. There's something interesting in the way that he reacts to the people meeting up to talk about these old cars, and he's sort of quite critical of these characters. But... I would say that those characters that Toad is being critical of seem to, I would put them in a sort of conservative group of people today. I can see that, but I guess I'm interested about in what Toad represents more so. So the discussions sort of come from that angle. And in the same way that mm. the treatments of the other groups and the works, like what they represent culturally that I'm interested in. The Wind in the Willows books is like on the precipice between like, yeah, pastoral UK and like industrial UK and like Toad and his friends, I think occupy a more like feudal, sort of like green and pleasant land version of the UK. So I think he's more within that and like obsessed with this progress. You describe kind of the Wind in the Willows book almost being at this precipice towards modernity and like coming out in 1908. And I guess I'm thinking like in terms of a European context, you're like gearing up towards a world war. It's very nationalistic all this investment in technology to kind of win this fight and so on. So it's like, it's a massive period of change. Why does it feel important to you to revisit that, those characters that are kind of in this period of change in the present? You kind of hinted at it a bit, but kind of more specifically, I guess, why, why this, why our present in a way? Why not like 10 years ago in the past or five years in the future? Because I think change is like right around the corner. Like we have like huge technological process, like and progress is still happening. It's just not happening here, really. Our perspective is like bigger now, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I think there, I think there's like a hangover of all of these things in our culture, and I think it's like time to maybe reframe how we think culture should operate within uh, the world. Because to think of like a sort of progress or a like world change happening 
Mm. I don't think five years. You know, like when yeah. Mark Fisher was writing his books and stuff and he was like, oh, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is the end of capitalism. I think it's changed now. I think actually you can imagine perhaps not the end of capitalism, but at least a big change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting even because I've started teaching a little bit in like a third level in an architecture school and and they sent an email to everyone that had interacted with them at all. So I'd had, I taught them one lecture. I never even met them in person and they sent me an email as, with a thank you to what I'd supported them with in their, in their practice. And it's like almost this change of care that you yeah, see yeah. and like that cultural shift. I mean, it's not the subcultures that you're talking about in, in the work, but almost like you can see that kind of shift from like five years ago to the present of that sense of like, oh, okay, a big global thing has happened and it has made people really reflect on how do I interact in my culture, in my community, in my society and, and so on, which feels like Toad has maybe just come into the end of that and it's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah, I think he can't, he can't figure, he can't figure it out basically and I don't but that's because and I thought about this actually in depth and I was like actually like the relational thing that could be the basis that I think is valuable within like all these like different cultures and things and could be made like a more intrinsic part of how culture operates happens in the work but like Toad can't access it because he's a ghost so he doesn't have the ability to like see what's worthwhile in in like making culture or anything do you know what I mean so like that's like a I guess a key part of it. I was wondering what your decision to make Toad a ghost was as a character that's already sort of a fictional character that you could slot into to any situation. It's because I think I think it's important that he's haunting culture because I think Mm. those perspectives and that period of time and the myths of like yeah pastoral landscapes or whatever and progress and all of these things they still do haunt the way that we make culture at the moment so it's like really and also i think using like a horror premise is always really useful when you're like trying to make value judgments on things throughout a narrative or at least that's how i feel like i do use horror a lot so i think yeah the idea of haunting is is really important yeah i mean as you say it like it's a it's a very easy reference to jump to but almost like hauntology and thinking about mark mark fisher's writings on capitalism and this slow cancellation of the future which i think probably came up in our very early episodes because i was reading a lot of that when we started this radio show but you know this idea of progress and nostalgia in particular or thinking about nostalgia within progress because you know you meet this group of car enthusiasts and they're really obsessed with cars that are kind of futuristic to toad but they're like 1950s 1960s old vehicles or even he, later on yeah, he meets RS a group Cosworth, actually 1996 okay <laughs> sorry car knowledge has been down there or even like you have this group of goths but they're wearing corsets which you know you, you have no nest you don't need to wear a corset in modern society but you can if you want to it's kind of a harking back within that I mean, the piece kind of pokes holes at that idea of like nostalgia and progress. Can they work together? Can they not? I wonder what does progress look like for Mr. Toad? Or like what kind of progress do you think he would be impressed by? Yeah. So I think he, so like, I think there's a little bit of it in the work where he doesn't like transhumanism because he's all about like mastery over nature. So it's like an extractionist perspective of like, how would you turn yourself into the thing that, 
like the machines that we use to create progress. So he wouldn't like that. He'd think of the he'd love space exploration. I think mm, that's, that's what like, I, I kept thinking that when I was listening to yeah, that. I was yeah. like, he would love yeah, he'd love the idea of going to the moon. Yeah, yeah. Well, like colonizing a whole new planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like yeah. lift off, especially. I think he'd be into. It's like it's like a because it's there's a great book which is another like horror books called uh, the vampire stats by Anne Rice and it talks about like beauty is like this like savage garden so it's like the whole premise of like vampires is based on this so it's like beauty is like violent and awe-inspiring but ultimately it's morally neutral and there's an element of toad that's a bit like that as well so it's like speed and progress above all else that's the thing that we want and that is beauty and so like lift off or things like this is like what toad would really be enamored by and i guess then uh, like the revving of an engine like yeah. All of that. yeah exactly yeah. Like, like, a, like a so there's a, she uses this really great example of like a bomb going off at night mm. like a massive bomb mm. and like if you're not close to it and you just see this like flash of light and like you know in an evening sky and stuff and how like awe-inspiring that would be but obviously awful like terrible awful terrible yeah. as well so yeah, yeah. yeah i'm imagining these kinds of extreme engineering programs like the hoover dam or mm like wind turbines or you know stuff like that that are yeah, all like yeah. this capturing of like let's subsume and control the environment in some way yeah yeah exactly i guess because when we were having a pre-chat and we were kind of trying to talk about what where the directions we wanted to go in one of the things that came up a lot is like this idea of progress and thinking even more deeply about it in terms of what does progress look like for you kind of because mm. Obviously, you've kind of removed your perspective from this work in that you're writing through someone else's eyes who has a different kind of belief system, moral system than you. If you were to, like, be Toad, for example, not have his opinions, but kind of be the ghost on the wall, and you were to look at these types of things, would they feel like progress to you? I mean, obviously, there's a huge, like, from Toad's perspective... I did try and get across that in like the first chapter of like there is loads of progress has happened mm -hmm. but there's like a delineation that I think has to be made between like progress in like cultural perspective and what like culture is like working for and also progress in terms of like economics and growth and mm -hmm. GDP and all of that sort of stuff. We're at a point right now where the progress that we're experiencing right now is quite subtle and I think it eventually won't be subtle but the invention of the printing press was huge. But did people know about uh, the impacts of the invention of the printing press when it was introduced in the same way that people were aware of the car? I feel like the car was so much more of a obvious moment that progress was happening, whereas the printing press, I feel like it took years for people to realise the effects that would come out of information being spread. And I feel like we're sort of at that point right now where we're sort of at this with ChatGPT or, or even just the internet. We're at that point now where we're experiencing progress but it's not quite obvious on yeah. where it's progressing us to i think there's something even in like the progress that you're describing nina like the printing press or like the you know ford's production line or stuff like that a lot of those things okay they have capitalistic gain economic gain but they also end up being to the benefit of like general public printing press means you can disseminate more books more people can learn how to read more people can have access to education car means you can travel from a to b and it's not going to be extortionately expensive or take you a really long time it kind of opens up a lot of space but you can also transport medicine from one place to another like all of yeah, it yeah, like yeah. yeah whether as a lot of the progress we're seeing in the present 
feels a lot more individualistic. Yeah, well, like, it's like the space race, like yeah, the private yeah. space race is a very different thing to like development and prosthetics. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, completely. It's, I mean, even like you look at lots of different healthcare conditions and you're like, there's lots of medicines like Viagra that are like, have lots of development in it because a lot of the main funders are male. But then you have other, other diseases that, you know, are largely affected by women or people in the global south. And it's like, nope. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. you know, it's not, there's like a, a large connection in progress to also like funders or benefactors. And yeah, yeah. that feels like in the present when you have this much more extreme wealth inequality than has been around for ever, since ever, since the beginning of capitalistic economics, you feel that sense of progress being like res being restricted constantly by the people who hold the purse strings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And that's the one of the uh, delineations, I guess, that could be made, whereas like progress... Mm -hmm. You can either have a social progress or you can have like an economic progress, which is like normally strictly seen through like GDP. And that's like not, that's not progress, is it? That's growth. And like the line can have several different, like the graph can have several different things on the bottom and the GDP means one thing, progress means another thing, social progress means another thing. You're really interested, or maybe not really interested, but slightly interested in like cultural progress and I'm wondering like what you see cultural progress to be because I, I feel like that is something that Toad it, in your audiobook is that's the, that's the progress that he seems to be or the lack of progress that he's upset by but I wonder what that cultural progress is and whether or maybe, or maybe on a happy sort of note like where do we see it happening or where has it happened in the past? I guess thinking about social progress, enabling cultural progress, uh, maybe I'm also saying this because we're in Pride Month. Um, but for example, um, a lot of different countries around Europe um, made homosexuality legal in like the 80s and the 90s. And gay marriage has been around in most places for like 10 years-ish. Um, and I feel like in terms, so that's a lot of social progress, right? For yeah. like people who are gay, you have yeah. access to a lot more space within political systems. But um, it also then means in terms of like queer culture, you start seeing big banks having floats in pride parades. You start seeing your regular supermarket selling rainbow shoelaces. I went home last yeah. weekend and my dad got me a pack of shoelaces for me and my partner and he's like, days and days. So I think the thing that I'm thinking of in that example is the um, relationship between like performativity and authenticity, right? And like authenticity is like classically seen as like a, a morally higher standpoint, right? Mm. And um, when capital takes those things, it's because they're authentic. Right. And then but then they're no longer authentic. So they kind of have to destroy it to, mm -hmm. in order to market it as like an authentic thing. But genuine cultures can sort of short circuit that like so also subcultures can short circuit that because the third because the, the authenticity and cool or good or whatever always relies on like a third party perspective. But if that third party perspective is within the culture, then they're sort of immune to that like immune to that and that's and if you could instead of extracting those things out of the cultures if you raise like the culture themselves and let them be the authorship of the thing that is good then um then i feel like it doesn't 
the mainstream doesn't have to destroy what it's taking from. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, then yeah. there's like, so then that, I think that's really what I mean when I say like cultural change or like a change in the way that we make culture as cultural producers is like those strategies can be like brought into the way you make things right and again this isn't i'm not saying that's what i'm doing with this work but this is like yeah. a way of exploring all of the whole mess of like everything at stake right before a period of like massive change and like try and work out if there is space to do that and my conclusion is yes there is space to do that. Mm. yeah because one of the things that we spoke a little bit about before which I'm going to try not nerd out on too much because I really love economics. Um, but in terms of, we've talked a lot about capitalism and also neoliberalism would fit into that category as well. In terms of progress and thinking about what kinds of progress are valued, what kinds of progress are not. And within that, thinking about kind of, I guess, sustainability in, in a way, in terms of like what kind of progress can the planet handle. So thinking about, when Toad was alive in 1908, what made that growth happen? You know, like material extraction and dispossession of colonial lands. In the present, there's still there's still those hierarchies, those power structures still exist very much. I guess I'm curious about what progress might look like if you think about different types of economic patterns, like donut economics or degrowth or. We should probably explain our terms a little bit in terms of what donut economics yeah. is. But. Yeah, you. so I think just for clarification, like uh, you put me onto this. I just want to make that very plain. And then I like <laughs> read read up on it all like over the past couple of days. And I just like was like, oh, God, like this work is just like a proposal for donut economics, basically. That's mm. like, that is it. That, like, at its core, it's like, oh, I could have just like, well, what's, what's the conversation about? I could have just been like, read this book. <laughs> Um, but should we? Yeah. Do you want to just describe before we go into before yeah, we go into yeah. it? You want to describe what donut economics and degrowth um, is? Okay. Uh, well, I'll give a brief intro and then maybe you say what it is in, in relationship to the to the work. I mean, donut economics in its most basic form is thinking about kind of the bands of what economics will and won't cover, and thinking about how do you restructure economics so it's planetarily sustainable. So like. How many trees do I have? Let me reframe kind of the value of trees in an economic study based on that and like living within kind of, I guess, planetary means in a way. Um, it's sort of constricting the ways in which things can grow. Um, and then Degrowth, which a really great book, if you're interested or just a great person to look at, is Jason Hickel. He wrote a book called Degrowth. And that's taking the premise of capitalistic economics everything needs to grow it's why there was like crazy economic slump during covid because you can't get a factory to run if all your workers are sick with covid um and so what happens if instead of growth being the main thing for our economics it was about taking a step back and thinking about livelihoods and wealth gap and um well-being um and planet as well i mean they're quite environmentally based things but I think in terms of in context of what you're looking at it's also about that sense of how can I have claim over my own culture how can I make my subculture I don't need to rely on a bank to tell me I can be gay I can just decide it for myself yeah I think yeah did we did we speak about the donut diagram no no, no. Just no. I think it would google be the yeah. I was just going to say, Google the donut economics diagram. <laughs> it's really easy to understand. 
and uh, it's brilliant. Like in the centre, it's got like uh, basically all the needs that like social needs that the economy needs to encompass, and then there's like a band of um, like good growth essentially. Like I'd say you, you'd say, and then beyond that donut, there's like you know how that would negatively impact going beyond everything. the limits of yeah. the world. Basically. So and like you can situate all different parts of the world into the donut and they'll all be at different points within those rings and the rich countries are probably way beyond the good ring and some of the like global south probably in the center and still need that growth to get to this like middle band but actually we could all just be in this middle band right and then that would be like a good way of negotiating a world for everyone to exist in again i feel like i sound like a fridge magnet (laughs) no no i thought no i do think i do think the donut economics it's a bit of a fridge magnet like itself so i don't think that's i mean i I mean quite a few of these they're described as alternative economics i think they're just good economics to Uh, be honest yeah but it's you know they all kind of pitch this idea of like we can all live in a more friendly kinder fairer world without destroying national pension schemes um but for me what's quite interesting when i think about it with your work or like when when we were first listening and reading to your work and then I was kind of like, oh, this kind of reminds me of of this, um, is that a lot of those are very large picture, big scale things. And it's like, okay, but what happens to my like death metal subculture group in that scenario? Um, I mean, maybe, I don't know if it's a bit, um, not taboo, but a bit weird to ask, like what subcultures do you feel like you're a part of? How might they be affected by <laughs> if you could live in a donor economics model? So I think I just want to address like how I feel like About- my work relates to donor economics first, mm. which is that um like I think it's I feel like this that economic models come about at the same time that I we've been thinking about how culture can change maybe and so it's this idea that actually it's time to like try and reframe the way in which we think about these things like because we do I think the progress of art and the avant-garde and all of this sort of stuff does rely on the like diagram of like the GDP line of like there's always avant-garde it's always next it's always better than what came before and it's always disproving those things and like actually we could re we could readdress that so the piece is essentially looking at the difficulty of how we attempt to define culture and its purpose like under completely new conditions which we're just experiencing for the first time and the fact that soon to happen is the next phase of like radical technological change like transhumanism prosthetics like decentralized like economic things i don't want to say cryptocurrency for some reason but cryptocurrencies like the whole thing is like it's it's just but and so we could go through this next thing with the same ideas of like progress and like a linear thing or it's a good opportunity to try and like do give it a do-over because it's completely different so that's sort of where that's sort of and I was trying to do that through Mm. the culture that I understand and see and something very yeah I was going to ask you about um uh also because we had a question before about how progress and nostalgia kind of can they work can Mm. they work together and Mm. I also wanted to kind of add on to that question and also the, also this discussion about degrowth and de-progression. Do, do we get to a point where the idea of progression is a nostalgic idea? So this idea of like growing the economy or growing the GDP is a sort of nostalgic idea of the past. That, and 
if we were to actually get to a point where degrowth, where we were actually doing degrowth, would this idea of progress become a nostalgic? Mm. I was just thinking about Toad as this kind of character. Yeah, I mean, maybe, was, yeah, maybe it's already happened. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. modernism, like people, I think, are nostalgic for modernism. Like if you yeah. go and see your f- friends, you go <laughs> and see your friends who are painters mm. and you see, you know, you might get the vibe that someone's really into this, like I'm really doing something in painting. It's like the next painting. You're never going to, yeah. like I did yeah. this. Yeah, it was the first time anyone did this and it was me. And you're just like, no. You know, you're like, oh, okay, good for you, man. Nice. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, so, yeah, I think it's like, I feel like maybe people already are. Like, um, we're like, yeah, yeah. Pro- I guess pro- progression becomes In an idea sense. rather than about it being about actual progress. Yeah. Well, I think it's about these, for me, if a lot of the work feels like it's about these two different generations meeting and clashing. And I think one of the things that like we were talking about before, it's like you speaking to like I'm imagining I keep on coming up with like gay terminology or queer terminology, but like I'm imagining like a non-binary uh, grandchild trying to speak to their grandparents about trans healthcare. There's such a massive gap generationally and culturally between the two. And it's like, how do you how do you bridge that? And that's kind of what I feel like is happening a lot in in this piece. It's like, how do you bridge that? How do you not like Toad is left to the end? Like, mm, I don't I don't know. I don't want to be part of this world really anymore. Like, I'm I'm happy to go back to my greener pastures. Um, and I guess it, it kind of makes you think about when you're on this threshold where, like, we keep on saying, oh, there's not much progress. There's not much progress. But then it's like, well, when you have social co- social and cultural conversations with, like, our parents, for example there's so many things that are just like no off the table can't talk about and like they'd be considered liberal but it's also like there's a stage that you're almost like you know I'm like oh I'm not that liberal because I'm not like this but then I speak to someone who's like 10 years older than me and I'm like oh I'm really liberal you know and it feels like that's also a little bit like what the piece is trying to talk about but not through politics through subculture yeah I think so I think um I think it's an old perspective, but again, and maybe it's like grip is getting less and less tight on on people as the generations go on. But um, then also maybe not, you know, like we are, we are like live in London, all of this sort of stuff. I don't think it is as uncommon as we think. Or I don't, yeah. You know, if I like my TikTok, my TikTok thinks that I am a sort of like Joe Rogan Andrew Tate sort of fan I get loads of Jordan Peterson Ben Shapiro all of this sort of stuff and you like watching you're like Jesus like what is going on sort of thing and I think so I think like although we're like yeah yeah it's um it's a generational thing I'm not sure it is actually I think it's like I think it's like a more geographic maybe I don't know I think it's uh I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to th- even think it's about that. Actually, it's, it's a, a mystery. Just a mystery. I don't want to avoid saying that it's a cultural war because I don't think it is a cultural war, and I think people are more than capable of having conversations with each other. Um, and I don't think we should venerate or pay any attention to really dogmatic cultures, which is like a problem in in that sort of thing on on all everywhere. Um, so, like, yeah, I guess it's. 
not as much of a question as it is a, a statement. But um, one of the things that I felt strongly listening to the work when we're talking about this generational gap or this kind of like progress gap in terms of what Toad sees as good and what, you know, the subcultures have as their progress is also thinking about the person who shares Toad's perspective listening to this work and getting to this point where they have to listen to pretty much the entire work before they realize it's a critique of their own opinion. I guess what kind of audience do you imagine listening to this work or like knowing this about the work and thinking about the kinds of spaces you could sort of insert it into? Yeah, I think it's like, I think on, I think it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of like a Trojan horse sort of setup where, but I think all of my work typically has like quite a long setup and then a very small moment where you realize how that's all going to be contextualized. So you hear the delivery and then it's contextualized at the end. Mm. And it like, yeah, but yeah, I could definitely, I think I could get it into, yeah, some, some good spaces and have people listen to it. But also like I did have, I had the opposite sort of feeling and I was like, you know, how many listeners do we have now? Like maybe we get like a bunch of people who have perspectives similar to our own and they just are like all steadily switching off the radio <laughs> show until it like continues. I'm like, this, this guy, man, who is this guy? So, yeah. Yeah, it does feel like there's something important though and also not necessarily validating those types of opinions as Toad has, but to at least li like find the ground at which you could maybe have the conversation. Yeah, but know? again, like, I do want to say like I don't think that we're completely immune to those sorts of perspectives, like especially with the like neoliberal productivity thing, like mm. everyone like hustle culture and everyone's like, oh yeah, it's so lame, but like, you know, when was the last time either of you went on holiday that wasn't for work? Actually, recently, but my partner had to book it for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think that the artists like definitely embody that sort of thing, like the hustle culture thing, and I think yeah. that that is like part of what Toad stands for. Yeah. So they'd love us, or he'd love us. Yeah, literally. Apart from our opinions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apart from when we don't know how to plug in the microphones. Damn <laughs> <laughs> it, progress. Um, so I'm just going to finish up with a last question. Obviously, our show looks at fiction a lot, and your work is, at first glance, is obviously f fiction. You exist in a sort of story, audiobook format, based on Wind in the Willows. feels like it's, even though it's not meant to be a children's book, it, it has that, the narration has that feel of... Of that it could be a children's book. I feel like I listened to lots of audiobooks in that style when I was young. But I was wondering how much of this is fiction and where does reality kind of intersect with this story? And are these groups, especially the examples of the groups that, that you use, are they complete fabulations or are they based on anything specific? Yeah. So I think um, in my head, it's all very real. I feel like it's like the real world is like a picture and obviously I'm more interested in like what those things mean so the descriptions aren't like in great detail but like the car club is like very real like the sound recording in the background is actually like from a car club that I got in touch with and proposed to work with for a festival that unfortunately didn't okay. happen but like yeah the sound recording is from a real one and the cars are real people really do talk like that i was really into cars when i was a teenager so that's kind of how i know and the mirror switches in a 
Forward Escort RS Cosworth are actually the same mirror switches as in a Lotus Evora, which is 20 <laughs> years younger. So it's like, <laughs> like, and I, the, I had to cut that bit down so much because I was getting really into it. And then yeah. like, it was so boring. And I was like, <laughs> no one's going to want this. Um, and then like the goth thing is like the, I've worked, done a lot of like looking at like goths and stuff because they actually like have one of the most easy trajectories of like cult, like a, a higher place in culture from like the rationality in the forums through like renaissance romanticism mm. like victorian gothic the subculture can be tracked historically really really easily yeah um but what i thought was funny is that they're like rave goths and like everyone you can everyone sort of has a picture of that and everyone yeah. knows like the meme of, i like, feel like the, the people under the bridge but you know how yeah yeah, yeah, the yeah people under the bridge, you know how old that video is how old 10 years old and people are like still do it. So it's like also that's another reason why it's great because it's just like that's ex that's, it's still uh, that alive. is exactly the image I had in my head was that meme of the yeah yeah the, yeah yeah the rave goths because um, people are still what are the boots called the rock oh the big like platform boots, boots. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what they're called anyway they're back now as well I think they've been back for a while yeah it always um, comes in cycles but yeah I was just trying to use things that are relatable and that I kind of understand. So that's mm. like, so I think in, I think it's a fiction, but it's also based very much in real things that you would actually see. Like, yeah. goth hanging out in a hotel room, car meet in a field. Yeah. High street in a generic southern town. Cool. Okay, I think I, we're going to have to end there. Yeah. Is there, before we close up, is there anything you want to direct us to in terms of what you're working on currently stuff you've worked on before stuff Anything that's coming exciting up coming up i've got two things coming up i've got a model village at east cheap projects in lechworth garden city which is a really lovely place you should all come to that as a collaborative exhibition making event where you make a small town and you think about how uh relating to other people makes culture and then i've got a i'm part of a group show at giant gallery in bournemouth um, which is called Super Sublime, curated by Theo Ellison. They're my shout outs. And when does sorry, when does that open again? Seventh of July. And Model Village opens on the fifteenth of July. Perfect. Cool. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Joe, and thank you so much for making the work. Um, it was which you made for the show, which was really really great. Um, and I hope you enjoyed the process of coming in and i hope that all you listeners enjoyed listening to us again yeah no it's been great to take you from behind the scenes and bring you to the forefront um and to hear what happens when you put the audio skills that you've obviously put into the show for the last two years into your own work and we can all hear and share it together thank you thank you for having me it's been great cool great. all right that's that's it from us for now um see you in two months yeah great. back in August. August, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Bye. Bye. Bye.